Welcome to Kids Considered, where two pediatricians discuss children's health topics of interest to parents in a podcast with new subjects considered every episode. I'm Dr. Lena Vanderlist. And I'm Dr. Dean Blumberg. And we're both pediatricians at UC Davis Children's Hospital in Sacramento, California. Oh, I'm so happy we're talking about this subject today. It's so important, and it's something that we often don't appreciate that children will experience as much. And I know I've shared with listeners before here, um, but something that's definitely important to me as a um, provider who lost her mother in childhood and went through this whole process myself. So I'm so, so happy that we're going to talk about this today. Yeah, it's a really difficult subject, and it's easy to just avoid it and not discuss it. Mm -hmm. And one thing that many of us have no idea how to handle. So we are really, really happy um, that we have um, Emily McDaniel, who's a certified child life specialist here at UC Davis Children's Hospital, with us today to walk us through this difficult topic of discussing grief with children and bereavement and sort of the normal process they go through and how we can help them. So thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, Emily works with children dealing with grief, including running support groups for bereaved children um, in the community. And, you know, when I've talked with the child life people and they referred me to Emily, I just thought, you know, she could review the episode as, you know, some of some of our episodes Lena and I just do alone together, well, alone together. Um, and we have an expert review it. Um, but for this, I just thought if Emily could join us, it would just be so much better. So thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me today and including me in this conversation. Yeah. So death is natural, and we know that children will be exposed to it at some point in their lives. And young children may not understand death, but they're going to be around grieving parents and others. So they're going to experience it in one way or another. Absolutely. And I think just about how topical this is right now, I think I was reading a headline that said 2 million children across the world or more have lost a caregiver or a grandparent or a parent to COVID-19. And so we know that even more so right now, more than ever, kids are experiencing this. Yeah, it's incredible. But let's start by defining a few important concepts about grief so that we're all on the same page. So, Emily, could you tell us what, what is grief? Yeah. Grief is a unique to each person and a normal response to processing change and loss. Grief does not have a timeline and it changes over time. It can affect the entire sense of self, mind, and body. And is it different than like that immediate period that we refer to as mourning or, or mourning something? Yeah. So mourning is the outward expression of grief. Um, and influenced by cultural norms, typically, um, and specific to each individual. And then bereavement is defined typically as the period after a loss when grief and mourning continue to manifest. Well, thank you. I know that sometimes I just mix up all those terms. They're all related. Mm -hmm. You know, as an adult who, um, you know, has experienced the deaths of people close to me, it's really overwhelming, especially at the beginning. It's really complicated. There's a lot of emotions. It's difficult to imagine supporting children during this process when it's so difficult for oneself. So how do you suggest approaching this for parents in the first few days? Yeah, so parents are navigating their own grief. 
And then they are tasked with thinking about how to help their children understand what's happening and then support them. And that can be incredibly taxing. So when working with parents, we emphasize a few important principles, and that's really staying open, honest, and as clear as possible when having conversations with children. Um, And so a few ideas that parents can keep in mind um, is to get the help of a partner. And depending on your situation, that could be a co-parent, a grandparent, or a close family member. Um, So you can lean on each other for support. And then you'll want to consider the developmental age of the child um, or children because that will help guide how many details you're sharing about the situation. And if there are big differences in the age or temperament of your children, it may be best to have separate meetings to discuss this um, important subject that you're going to be talking about. Um, And then keeping in mind when you're beginning this conversation is important. So Um, having the conversation during a part of the day when they can transition to a calm and enjoyable activity afterwards is helpful. So before bedtime or before school in the morning, those would be really hard times to have this difficult conversation. Um, And then you might want to think about a few supplies to have on hand, so water, tissues, and then some play items for kids to have outlets. Whenever children are hearing emotionally charged information, it is helpful for them to have some tension release activities. Um, So those can be fidget items or uh, other items that they're familiar with. I wonder, would you recommend having this conversation in like the immediate period after when the adult themselves may still be so raw and so fresh? Obviously, we'll get into this more about how bereavement differs depending on if it was expected or not or other things. But Um, It just seems like such a hard conversation to have if you yourself as the adult are still processing it. Right. I think it's important for them to take a little bit of time to digest that information. Um, And honestly, practicing out what they're going to be saying to their children beforehand um, is a really um, nice strategy to think about as well. And you talked a little bit about age of the child. I think this is a big thing, right? Because I like have this vivid memory of my grandpa dying when I was quite young. I think I may have been like under five. And I was very excited to ride in the limo. Like that, that was sort of my <laughs> whole um, memory of this whole experience. And it was not traumatic at all for me at that age. Can you talk a little bit about how ages of kids and developmental milestones may influence their kind of um, processing of a loss or, or their grief process. Yeah, yeah. So we know that children of all ages experience grief and big emotions related to feelings of loss and separation. Um, but generally, children ages five and younger haven't grasped, grasped all of the concepts of death and don't view it as permanent And as they get older, around six or eight, um, they are beginning to understand that it's a universal thing that happens and it's irreversible and just the finality of death. Can you give us some examples of how specifically to talk about death with children? So some general ideas um, we can review, but I really want to emphasize that it's not just a one-time conversation. This is going to be a lifelong conversation. Um, And then this first conversation is really about laying the groundwork and exploring what your child is thinking about what has happened. So in a 
calm and comfortable space, you'll really want to start by setting the tone for the conversation. You can begin with, there is something important I'd like to talk about, or I have some sad news that I need to share with you. Um, So make sure you preface it so that you can help prepare them for what's going to be coming next. Um, And then you'll want to ask your child or teen what they understand about the situation, um, because that is going to help guide and help you realize where to start um, the conversation. And then reviewing the story using clear and concrete words. For example, Uncle John has been sick for a long time. The doctors have told us that there aren't any medicines or treatments that can help their body work any longer. And when the body stops working, it dies. It's really important to use clear words like death and dying and avoid terms like gone to sleep or we've lost them as that can be really confusing for children. Um, And this does happen often. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm laughing not because I mean, obviously this is so serious, but I remember babysitting a kid one time. And their cat had just died. And I think that they had said they put him to sleep or something like that. Mm-hmm. And the kid was like, we had to put, you know, muffins to sleep today. Like, and when do you think he's going to wake back up? Right. <laughs> it was right. like his first question. And I was like, oh, I think you need to talk to your mom about that. Uh- <laughs> right. Yes. The kids can be so confused if we're not very clear, especially our younger kids. For example, if there's a death of a sibling and a mom is explaining to her other children that Billy got a boo-boo and he's going to not come home. Um, That can be incredibly confusing. So it's best to be very concrete and clear, even with younger children. Um, And you want to explain the finality of death. So what happens when the body stops working? We're not able to breathe. The body doesn't know that it needs to eat. Um, The heart is not beating. It's no longer able to play. And using those examples can help children understand uh, the finality of death. And then sometimes using books can be helpful as well, especially for the younger children. Um, They can be, you can have visual examples um, explaining death and dying. Um, And then it's important if, um, if it's important for your family to share religious or spiritual beliefs about death, you'll want to tie that into this conversation as well. Um, and you can do that during this this part. And they may have questions that come up. And so you'll know to um, to factor in those questions to your conversation. We'll have a link to those um, some books that are very useful that um, Emily has specifically recommended. We'll have that on our website. And so our discussion now has been kind of in that like immediate post. Um, if if a loved one dies or is close to dying, do you ever recommend if someone is is quite sick or or you know that that's kind of where things are going to have these conversations earlier? Would that be more appropriate maybe with an older child or how do you approach that in in someone who is looking like they may end up passing away? Yeah, so we always advocate for including children early and often. Um, We want kids to develop a context for the situation so that they feel prepared um, for what's going to be happening. Um, And sometimes if they're not included, they can be in emotional isolation because oftentimes they know more than we realize. So by having these conversations with them, um, we can not only ensure that the information that they're hearing um, is factual and, and true for the situation, but we can also create this space to support them with their feelings and questions that they may have. 
And if you start having this conversation with your child and they become very emotional um, or you've kind of sensed that they're not really able to process it, they're really tearful, they're really, you know, acting out, how do you approach that situation? Yeah, so if emotion takes over the conversation, it's okay to direct your focus to your child and respond to them and come back to that conversation later. And it may even be more beneficial for your child to dose out the information and have meetings, um, small meetings um, over the course of the week or weeks ahead. Um, and, and also, I like to let parents know um, that it's okay to not have all of the answers. Um, the, they sometimes are fearful that they are going to be asked these really big questions um, and they're not going to be able to know how to respond. So I just help them know that part of being honest is letting them know when you don't have answers. And if you are going to be getting answers, you can let them know. When I have that answer, if I'm able to get that answer, I will definitely come back and talk to you about that. You mentioned how we need to share things with children when somebody is seriously ill, and we should do that often, checking in with them. So could you elaborate on that related to like a long-term illness that you know is going to be terminal? When a loved one has an illness for a long time, there may be more time to spread out information sharing and support. The family has been grieving these losses this whole time, um, and so... Children may have developed some coping strategies, and they may not be as shocked by the death um, when they are included throughout the illness. Yeah, I will say this is sort of goes a little bit more with my own personal experience, and I know Dean knows some of this, but um, my mom had colon cancer when I was 11, and you know, it definitely took that course of like a year and a half of things getting worse and eventually leading to hospice. And so those are like conversations that I felt like were very useful to have both with my parents, both of them, as well as a therapist or a family therapist throughout the illness so that I, as an 11-year-old, you know, learned what hospice was and that maybe that meant that she probably was going to pass away at some point. And so when that happened and she had to go there, it was, um, you know, no less devastating or no less um, that I had to go through the grief and bereavement process, but it was a stepwise process that I was included in throughout the discussion, which I thought was really beneficial, at least at that age. And obviously that situation is going to be way different than if you have a parent tragically die in a car accident or something like that. So those are going to be much more emotionally jolting for everyone involved in the family, including the child. Um, so how do we approach those sort of unexpected sudden death incidents? Yeah, those can be really unsettling for children and families. And it's not uncommon for children to develop fears. Will someone else in the family die? Will they themselves die? Um, and really, we're talking to parents often about how to help children handle the unknown. There are so many unknowns in life, and if there are sudden deaths, um, that can um, in, increase anxiety surrounding what's ahead. Um, so really, we help parents use the framework of you know, we do the best we can to take care of ourselves so that we can live a healthy life. And although we do not know what tomorrow will hold, we expect to be together for a long time 
And I usually recommend that parents practice coping with the unknown with their children, um, whether that is taking deep breaths if they have some anxious thoughts about what's to come, or maybe using a finger labyrinth um, to help them feel more grounded so you can model to children how to cope with those hard feelings. What's a finger labyrinth? It's a very micro labyrinth. And so it's just something you can trace your finger around and help you stay in the present moment and feel uh, grounded. You've mentioned that the approach will vary by age, which makes a lot of sense with children with different developmental understanding and in different places. But do you have some suggested general strategies for helping children of all ages? Yes. So we encourage parents to emphasize to the family that they will get through these challenging times together. Children will each be working through their experiences and their feelings in their own way, but by continuing that connection with the family and ensuring that there's always a support line available, that fosters security and promotes coping. Um, So in addition, we encourage parents to open up and share feelings. So often in the hospital when working with families, parents will say, I don't want to cry in front of my children. I want to be very composed. And so we let them know that by opening up and sharing how you're feeling, you're acknowledging the heaviness of the situation. And you are also giving children permission to share how they're feeling, which is very appropriate in these sad situations. Listening and watching your children, letting their questions, artwork, and play help lead your conversations can be helpful. Sometimes children will be asking, who will take care of me? Or why did uncle have to die? And you'll want to just continue to validate their feelings and maintain honesty in all of those conversations. As well, maintaining routines is very important. I think we can all appreciate routines and they become even more important during periods of change. They help children know what to expect and help foster a sense of safety and security. And lastly, play is incredibly powerful. Creative activities and physical movement um, can help children naturally express their feelings, concerns, and questions. Dr. Lena, do we mention routine like every podcast episode? It just seems so important for children's mental health. I think it's important for all of our mental health, but we always stress it with children for sure. But yeah, and I will say that um, even as like an 11 or 12 year old, I felt like my friendships were so important during that time. So like in some cases, like some people may have felt like I was maybe detaching from my family, but I felt like they were always there. But I actually just wanted to like spend a lot of time with friends and have that really like normal kid time. And so um, I also want to stress that that is totally normal for teenagers and older kids too, right? Because that's part of their routine. They may want that distractor. (laughs) Right. And they don't want to feel different than their friends. And so trying to um, go back to their friend groups is natural. And we do actually have that conversation with parents a lot who are wondering, my child, we just had this really hard conversation and he jumped right back into play. And so we talk about how play is very therapeutic and a form of coping, and so not to be surprised by that. Yeah, absolutely. 
And then how do we prepare um, kids for like that immediate um, after death um, experience? So it may be like the funeral or the f- a bunch of family coming. What should we tell them to expect during that time? Yeah, with so many changes going on, it can be helpful to prepare children for what to expect. So letting your children know if they're going to be extra visitors can be helpful. And also, how might they be acting? Will they be crying? Will they be quiet? Um, And then explain the plan for the next few days. What will that look like? Is there going to be a ceremony? Um, If they're given a choice whether to go, you know, plan for who will be with them to support them through that um, and really help them feel included in what's going on so they can have a sense of control in a very out of control time. Um, And then just ensure that their questions and concerns and needs are heard during these times. Could you talk more about funerals? Because this seems to always come up where parents are worried about like the funeral is going to be traumatizing for the kid, or maybe they should be included and they should go to the funeral because, you know, I've always felt that funerals are really important for me in terms of providing closure and I mean, not final closure, but part of the whole process. Yeah. Parents will want to have this conversation a lot. And we encourage parents to include children and teens in family rituals and mourning that are appropriate for the culture um, because it does provide them with a chance to process what happened, continue to grieve, be in a community um, with others who are also grieving the loss and an opportunity to say goodbye. It can be helpful to prepare them what to expect so that they can make a choice as far as if they want to go to the ceremony or not. Um, And then if they choose not to go, help them know that they can honor their loved one in other meaningful ways. It could be a variety of different activities they could do um, depending on their age and interest, but they could draw a picture, write a letter, leave a special item with their person, um, and just help include them even if they're not present at the ceremony. We've talked a lot about this immediate um, post-death experience or even preparing leading up to the possible death of a loved one, Um, but there's so much that goes on after that immediate period, after the funeral is over and every, your routines are back in place, you know, with each birthday and holiday and new experience. I always think about my dad started dating again. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. Those are all triggers for, um, you know, the grief response to come back or change. And so how is it um, sort of natural for those things to change and come up over time for kids specifically? Yeah. So although a grief response continues to be unpredictable, as time moves on, Um, children and their families are reorganizing their lives and they are coming up with coping strategies that help them move forward. Um, And so it can be really helpful to um, let them know that feelings are going to come and go and try not to judge how they're feeling at different points because especially those different milestones may provoke different feelings. And so just letting them know that they may feel a lot of different feelings um, and that that's normal. Yeah, that's interesting that you mentioned that because I'm thinking that the, everybody has different triggers. So that for the child, it might be one thing and the parent, they may not take notice of it or vice versa, that something's really important to the parent and for the child, it's it, it's not a trigger for them. So I think being sensitive to that, it just makes a lot of sense. 
So what are some of the suggested coping activities um, for children to memorialize loved ones? Um, because you mentioned that, you know, maybe going to the funeral might not be right for the child, but maybe there's some other way that they want to honor that memory and keep that memory alive. There are many different coping activities and ways to remember loved ones, and it really depends on the child's developmental age, their natural interests, and their unique experiences related to the loss. Um, But creative activities and big movement activities um, to start can be extremely helpful for children who are not always able to express how they're feeling with words Um, And so nonverbal outlets can help um, them process and be incredibly therapeutic. So um, for self-expression, kids can create a mailbox or jar where they can write or draw questions, comments, feelings they're having on a piece of paper um, and just kind of like a a worry box they can use um, to help them keep their their worries in, can encourage journaling Uh, starting with a prompt can be helpful and there are a variety of different prompts that can be used depending on age of child Um, or creating a family scrapbook with special pictures and mementos um, is a nice idea and then sometimes children in their grief need big energy movement activities as an outlet and so encouraging dance stretching yoga um, or, or playing in big active ways can be helpful and Ways to remember um, a loved one, there are many different ideas, um, but one way would be to create a special area in the home to honor the loved one with photos, drawings, and items. Um, You can also create almost like a little cozy corner with books or um, even creating a memory box with special keepsakes in. And I would say the most important thing is to talk about the person who died. Um, Give children opportunities to learn and share about their person. That can be very healing and help them cope long-term. You know, the box, I remember after my mother died, that was important to me. I had one of her small jewelry boxes, and I put a a hair clip in there that she always wore that reminded me of her, and a feather that she had by her bedside and a few other things and it just you know it was important to me to like go to the box to hold the objects the physical touching of the objects was comforting Mm -hmm. yeah that's great um so we talked about how kids are going to process this every kid is going to be a little bit different right and how long it takes and depending on their age but how can parents know maybe if their kid is not doing okay? Are there any signs that that the grief um, may need more special help? So seeking out a therapist or your pediatrician or, or other people to, to kind of bring in some extra support. When parents um, talk to me about their children and they're wondering how they're going to cope right now when the death is happening and then in the future, um, I really try to emphasize how resilient children are. Um, And usually with time, support, and tools to promote coping, most children will return to typical level of functioning after a death. However, in some cases, especially if a child has layered stressors going on, um, they may be at risk for greater effects from the loss. So if there are persistent ongoing behaviors that interfere with a child's daily life, such as withdrawal from friends, or regression to an earlier stage of development, 
Um, regression is normal with grief, but again, this is persistent and ongoing. Um, or a drop in school performance or refusal to attend school. Those can be some signs that um, seeking the support of a child and adolescent mental health therapist or, or somebody qualified to help children um, with bereavement support um, could be helpful. And, and actually to check in with the child, you would want to start by acknowledging their feelings and just begin a dialogue. And really doing this often um, after a loss can be helpful. So you seem really sad these days. I'm here if you'd like to talk about how you're feeling inside um, because it's important to address our feelings or starting with something along those lines. Absolutely. And, you know, I am a huge proponent of therapy. So I think that the sooner you can get this on board, even if you haven't seen these signs yet, sometimes can be helpful. Um, and of course, in the, those older teens, too, checking in with your pediatrician um, if you're noticing signs of depression or anxiety. We've done two podcast episodes on um, both of those topics that you can check out as well. We've talked about some triggers for children and adults, but how can parents help children prepare for anticipated milestones, anniversaries, things that we know are going to, to happen and occur um, and, and are, are natural triggers for children? Planning ahead for these anniversaries and milestones can be helpful. That helps recognize that these days are going to be different um, without the loved one. And it, it can be helpful to just create a plan of how you are going to honor that person or celebrate them, um, such as on their birthday, their death day, and so on. It could be a small act or ritual or a big event. Um, it could be just sitting together and sharing memories of your loved one or lighting a candle. Those are some ways. So I think that this has been an extremely helpful conversation for for us and for parents, hopefully, and hopefully something you're only going to have to do a few times, uh, maybe one or two times during your parenting journey, but something that all of us, unfortunately, do have to deal with and, and probably have kids in our life that we are going to be interacting with around this topic. So super important. Thank you so much, Emily, for being with us. Is there any final pieces of advice that you want to leave parents with on this topic? I would say that for parents, it's common to forget about caring for yourself, but it is so important, especially when you are supporting children in their grief. So I would encourage parents to find sources of support to help as you continue to address feelings and manage those feelings. And relying on those supportive resources that work well for you will help you be present for your child um, and perhaps also model for your child how they can take care of themselves during this time. Emily, thank you so much for helping us explore this difficult and important subject. I, it's hard to imagine doing this without your involvement. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much for having me. So let's do our best to summarize some of the main issues from our discussion today. It's vital to take the developmental age of your child into account when discussing death with them and be sure to prepare and enlist help such as a partner in the discussion. It is okay for your child to become emotional during this time, and it's really an opportunity for you to acknowledge how uncomfortable and hard these situations are be there to care for your child during this emotional experience, and then just come back to that conversation at a later time. And open up and share your feelings with your child. It's a good role modeling for them and, and helps connect with them also. 
Right. And validate your child's individual feelings as well. Invite children to funeral services, but don't force them to go. There are other ways for children to honor the deceased. Provide comfort and maintain routines during this difficult time. And prepare your children by letting them know what to expect after a death, such as extra visitors, if there's funeral services, or what else might be coming up. And invite children to funeral services, but don't force them to go. There are other ways for children to honor the deceased. We discussed several activities that children might do in order to memorialize their loved ones, such as creating a mailbox for their feelings, journaling, making a scrapbook, doing a lot of play and movement activities. There may be signs that children need extra support from professionals, such as withdrawing from normal activities, poor appetite, difficulty sleeping, not going to school, or, or significant regression. Think ahead and prepare children for milestones and anniversaries and, and do things together that can commemorate your loved one. Finally, don't forget to take care of yourself during this difficult time. Absolutely. That is extremely important. And you cannot take care of your children, like we always say, unless you take care of yourself first. And we would like to thank Emily McDaniel, a certified child life specialist at UC Davis Children's Hospital, for joining us on today's episode, although Dr. Dean and I take full responsibility for any errors or misinformation. So I think, Dr. Lena, both you and I were reflecting a lot on our own experiences during this time. And when the funeral issue came up, you know, I was specifically thinking of the first funeral that I could have gone to, which was my grandfather, um, Louis Abrams, Grandpa Lou. And he was the sweetest guy. He was like only a positive influence in our lives. Every time we'd see him, we'd smile because he was always in a good mood and always like giving us stuff. And he was just fun <laughs> to be around. And yeah. when he died, when I was um, 10 years old, I remember being very sad about it, and it was the first death that I could remember that was significant, and I wanted to go to the funeral because it was all so mysterious. And I asked my parents, and they said, no, you're too young, you shouldn't go. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, they were worried that it would be too traumatic for me, and I remember that, I, you know, I remember feeling excluded, and like, mm -hmm. I want to be there, what's, what's the mystery? I want to I be there, and, you know, I wanted to be there for him, I wanted to be there for me. And I also had a lot of curiosity about the whole process. So, you know, I, I, I regret that. I regret that I wasn't there. But, that's, but then there's other, other things that still give me comfort, including visiting the cemetery, because I can do that, because he's buried in San Francisco, so I can, I can visit his gravestone. Those are all really nice things for kids, and some kids will want to do them, and some will not. And it may change from year to year, too. So, yeah, I think that that's a a great story and and something that parents can hopefully learn from um, that if your child is expressing interest in going to a funeral that um, there are ways to make that happen for them and if you have concerns about um, you know if there's going to be an open casket or something like that that may not be developmentally appropriate for a child depending um, that you can modify the experience for them while still giving them what what they need. That wraps up this episode of Kids Considered. You can find more information on our website, kidsconsidered.ucdavis.edu. Follow us on Twitter at Kids Considered. And Instagram at Kids Considered. If you have feedback on this show or topics you would like us to discuss in the future, we would love to hear from you. 
please call us. Our number is 916-915-3388. Or email us at kidsconsidered at gmail.com. Please rate us on iTunes or wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we hope you will join us for our next podcast. Kids Considered is sponsored by UC Davis Children's Hospital. 